Say this theme is pretty good i would say oh the theme for mission impossible priceless yeah i mean yeah. it's the one one of the big <laughs> things they kept from the tv show because uh. it just it fires you up if you're you're doing the dishes in your apartment you play mission impossible theme you're you're getting those dishes done yeah um which they kind of added a new version i'm playing like the new version from dead reckoning here which is also, Lauren Ball. Yeah. Pretty loud. That's pretty loud. Holy shit. At least it's just on my end. Uh, but yeah. Um, so let us get into it. We're going to be discussing uh, Retro Review for Mission Impossible Fallout. And then we're going to be raking all the Mission Impossible movies there. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, of course. I mean, Nathan, you've seen all the Mission Impossible movies before, haven't you? Many times. Many times in a row. So you've done it. You did a binge when Dead Reckoning Part One came out. Yeah, yeah. Always, always a pleasant thing to do. Um, yeah. We we could get into like the whole TV show machinations of it all because a lot of people don't know. One of the big reasons for my podcast is Mission Impossible it used to be a TV show, and uh, the the main lead of the TV show. Uh, for most of the seasons, is this guy named Jim Phelps, and in the first movie, he uh, he turned out to be a, a bad guy, a traitor. He's played by John Voight in the movie, and Tom Cruise uh, kills him uh, in a train, and it's uh, kind of developed this rift between um, everybody who has uh, been a fan of the old Mission Impossible TV show and the Mission Impossible movies, which has been interesting considering the fact that um, now they are uh, they're more similar than ever as far as the way they handle their formula, and also mm. um, yeah, yeah, it's it we we've weirdly uh, verved back around, and I have certainly lived a long time with the first Mission Impossible movie, a movie that I had flaws with uh, and still have flaws with to this day. But, um, I mean, we're just looking at parts of this preview and, uh, geez, this movie just looks unreal compared to most other movies that we see today. There's just such a clear style by Brian De Palma. Yeah. So did you want to rank them first and we can get into the Fallout review? or? Yeah, we could rank them. I mean... I feel like it's best to start from the bottom because it's the least surprising. Okay. Um, yeah, my bottom number seven would be uh, Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2. Okay. A very um, watchable bad movie. Yeah, so Mission Impossible 2 is directed by John Woo, who John Woo at the time was pretty huge. He had done Face Off already, which was the uh, film with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, and I guess that was part of maybe the primary decision to have him on Mission Impossible. It's like, maybe he takes faces off, they take faces off in Mission Impossible, <laughs> and he did a movie called Face Off, so obviously he's perfect. He's uh, also come... just one of the best direct, uh, best action directors of that era, and he had built yeah. up steam from his work in the 80s and the 90s that really caught wind in America. And people were like, why aren't we doing them like him? And 
Tom Cruise was very smart to uh, bring him on board for the sequel. Mm. It's such a different direction from Brian De Palma. Yeah. Uh, let me try to grab the trailer for that Mission Impossible 2. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a different swing there, um, as we see from, you know, Mission Impossible 1 to Mission Impossible 2. Very more stylish. Um, you know, it had that John Woo signature kind of style, which you bring him in for. You know, the doves, which he's famous for, the slow motion. Um, you had Tom Cruise, who we, we kind of noted, uh, you know, kind of watching these movies I told you about. It's kind of, he goes from like long hair, short hair to long hair to short hair like he kind of goes back and forth between mm -hmm. you know what i mean things in between movies which is always i don't know the exact decision behind that exactly uh but it's just kind of i a, believe he's doing long hair for the the next part so yeah i'm not sure what the decision is but i listened to uh an interview with the director and they said there were multiple scenes where they had to reshoot in uh, Dead Reckoning, where Tom Cruise is wearing a wig because his uh, Mission Impossible 8 hair is already there. And it's, I don't know that it's necessarily a decision, but it helps distinguish the two of them. This one, he probably has the longest, most flowing hair. Um, you got Anthony Hopkins in there for a little bit. There are a lot of fun sequences to this movie. It's just sadly a movie that's a little bit more boring in the scenes where it's not going full action movie, Red Bull commercial, just high octane John Woo stuff, which is when the movie really comes alive and keeps the movie very watchable. Mm, yeah. Um, and you do have Thandi Newton, who, you know, going back and watching this movie, is actually kind of what a similar character um, as to Haley Atwell is in The Dead Reckoning Part 1. You know, she's like this thief, um, very, very expert thief, and kind of gets caught up in this kind of bigger kind of uh, situation, you know, with Ethan Hunt. And then, you know, uh, but she has more of a connection to the criminal that he's hunting in this, who, a uh, fun fact about this, uh, Doug Ray Scott, he missed out on X-Men to be in this movie. He was going to be Wolverine. Uh, yeah. But he turned that down to be in this, and then that's how they ended up casting Hugh Jackman. So it's one of those big career, you know, what ifs, like what if Will Smith was in The Matrix or what if uh, we got Logan in 2017 with Dougray Scott? Yeah, you know, it, it, and then after this movie came out, I think that this was kind of a one of kind of a career killer for him, kind of, wasn't it? A little bit. I mean, he's married to Claire Forlani, so he's he's doing well for himself. Uh, he, you know, it's one of those where you, you could have never known how big X-Men was going to be. Um, funny that you brought up the whole uh, Newton uh, At Atwell thing, because that's something that would happen in the show every once in a while, where they would just recruit somebody like a criminal of some sort and have them be like a one-off guest star for their, uh, for their thing. Obviously, they make it more of like a character piece in, in both of these movies, but... I just found it to be quite interesting because this movie is seen as such a departure from the formula of the franchise. And in a lot of ways, it still maintains a lot of those. They still get a mission. They still have a team. But the team is so off the focus. And one of the brilliant things about the way this franchise has gone is you could always take the first movie where Ethan lost a team to be the second movie is his angsty emo phase where he is completely withdrawn from connecting with other people. And then slowly but surely he finds this unit of people that he cares about. Mm. Yeah. It's a nice little uh, retrospective take. I'm assuming this is also your bottom, Josh. 
Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, this is, I think, you know, going from, we're going from the worst to the best. Um, yeah. And there's been seven Mission Impossible movies so far. And yeah, I think for me, looking back at all these movies, the second Mission Impossible movie is the worst one uh, out of all of them. Uh, quick fun fact from Rated from Immaturity. He says, Nick Cage pitched a face-off sequel where him and Travolta come back and have kids and all of all four of them switch faces. Yeah. Like uh, the Parent Trap, but with uh, <laughs> Freaky Friday, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Lindsay Lohan should have played one of the kids. um don't they already have yeah because uh well i think travolta already has kids and in the face so he already has kids already so it just would be yeah uh, i guess nicholas cage um, now that i'm thinking about it he has two kids and one of them is already nicholas cages because at the end they make that weird decision of like oh hey i lost my my son and my enemy has my son, and I take care of him, and blah blah blah. And then they get a new kid at the end. Oh, okay. oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because uh, who was the woman that he had a kid with in Face Off? I forget. Uh, Joan Allen. Joan Allen, right, right. Unless um, we're talking actually, Nicholas Cage. I'm trying to remember. I think it's Gina Gershon, Joan Allen on the other side. Yeah, I'm waiting for me. Uh, Rating from Maturity says, I think the idea they'd have adult children in the sequel, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say this was the worst one. And, and for me, why I think Mission Impossible 2 is the worst one for me is because of it just sometimes when you had foreign directors who did come over and try to do American cinema, you know, I think it succeeded with John Woo with Face Off, but it just didn't work here with Mission Impossible because it just was, I mean, do you think it just was such a uh, uh, totally a different clash with what we saw in the first movie that that's the reason it didn't work um, or was it just too much I guess I think a lot of it was also just too much of the them using the gimmick of Mission Impossible which they've made fun of in later entries of the, uh, of the series where they just constantly take off the faces and do that and all that other situations did you uh-huh. so what do you what do you kind of attribute to why do people well receive face off but not well or not too receptive of Mission Impossible 2 so face off has the luxury of two actors just really going at it and having like a proper match. Uh, no offense to Dugaray Scott, but there are very few fucking movie stars that can outact Tom Cruise. Uh, once you're on screen with, I mean, you think about like some of the most iconic Tom Cruise villain pairings and maybe the, the most apt one you have is A Few Good Men, where it's Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise going at it. And Jack mm. Nicholson is a fucking legend. I mean, Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise, but even then, people, as much as Jamie Foxx got nominated for Collateral, uh, a lot of people see that as like a oh, Tom Cruise, though, you know? He's uh, such an electrifying screen presence, as these movies show, that... Uh, even him at his worst, which would probably be his performance in this movie, um, you know, nobody else can really hold a candle. So there's that. Um, another big fact is uh, John Woo, I've listened to the commentary for this movie and I've lived with this movie for quite some time. Uh, John Woo was really focused on the romance. Another thing that I think uh, Tom Cruise and Tandaway Newton, she's... Uh, they're both really good, but I 
don't really much buy their chemistry. And it was kind of past the point where I ever wanted to see Tom Cruise be sexual in a movie. <laughs> I mean, he's very few moments in his career where it's really worked out for him, like Jerry Maguire. Uh, but post Eyes Wide Shut, you're, you're not wanting to see him do anything. Um, and, and also the team dynamics, not really that much there. The back half of the movie is the funnest portion of the movie, but um, it takes a while to get there. It's still a lot of fun. It's just, if you're picking one, it's probably not going to be that. Also, the greatest Tom Cruise villain is Oprah's couch. Funny. Funny. <laughs> you also put Matt Lauer up there. Yeah. Um, I was also put the dude who um, was that reporter who squirted the water in his face when he was on the red carpet. That um, is such a unsettling clip. I totally understand Cruz for freaking out, but I, I love when he's like grabbing. He's like, "You did something real nasty. You know, you're a jerk. <laughs> you're a jerk." And he's saying it with the intensity of, "I'm going to rip your eyeballs out." Mm. Uh, that quiet intensity. Yeah. 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 Uh. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll probably insert that clip. But everybody know if you look up, probably look up. It was reported. It was like one of those joke kind of situations. You know, I think he was yeah doing a prank on him. Had the microphone, and the microphone squirted water in his face, and and you know he kind of just grabbed the guy. You know, and and kind of just was he was calm, but it was also a lot of just calm intensity and everything like that. But Story. Everybody's got a family. He's got the journey of his family. Yes, 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 yes. That's. No. Now, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Come here. Come here. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Very funny. No, no, it's okay. No, no, wait one second. What's so funny about that? Kind of just got him there. It wasn't as bad as what happened with uh, Will Smith uh, when something similar happened to him. Uh, but Will Smith slapped the guy. Um, so that wasn't the, the first time. That, you know, people think Chris Rock was maybe the first time he slapped somebody on camera. No, it was, uh, it was a reporter. He, he did one of those joke things, tried to give him a kiss on the lips. And just kind of, it was kind of like a little backhanded slap. It wasn't like a real big slap. It was kind of just like, yeah, it was like kind of like a mafia slap. Oh, kinda. my I mean, to be honest, if you just look at it on paper, Tom Cruise handled it very well. But if you look at it on video, everybody is unsettled by how well he handled it and also the intensity by with how well he handled it. Yeah. Um, it's just got to use that intense, intensity to keep all that, uh, let's see, that secret inf uh, info about Lord Xenu uh, there. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah. So I would say, yeah, this one, this one, yeah, Mission Impossible Two would definitely be at the bottom for me. But there are some good moments here. Like I, I, I do agree. The climax on this movie is probably the best part. It just takes forever to get there. Um, some of the slow mo stuff is not too bad. Like when he's facing off against Doug Ray Scott, and they have their little kind of, you know, uh, no pun intended, face off there. No pun intended. Uh, you know, I do think that is kind of very exciting. But I, I do think you're right that him and Doug Ray Scott. It just it's kind of imbalanced there. It kind of yeah. This is probably more of an obscure. I don't know if you. I don't know if you ever saw Sherlock Holmes too with like Robert Downey Jr. I I haven't seen it, but it, I know Moriarty is played by what Jared Harris. Yeah, and I think at I first rumor it was Brad Pitt, right? 
Yeah, the rumor yeah. was Brad Pitt, and it, it, you just think like, what if it was played by Brad Pitt? Like, it just would feel like a better matchup. You know yeah. what I mean? If instead I mean, of it would be two two American actors doing British. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, love, I love me some Jared Harris, so I won't speak to it. I have not seen the movie. At some point, I will. Um, we'll we'll figure out when that happens. I've been yeah. I've been talked to about that movie weirdly enough quite quite often, but um, I'm curious if our rankings are pretty similar. Um, what, what what do you what do you have as your number five? Uh, wouldn't it be number six? Because we yeah number six or. Oh yeah, number six. Sorry, forgot. Yeah. Forgot there was a whole new one that I'm editing an episode on. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, should we even rank? You think we should rank Dead Reckoning? You think? Yeah, probably. No, yeah, we should, should rank Dead Reckoning. I I have it already put down. Okay, so for me, number six would be the first Mission Impossible movie. Hey, same, same. Yeah. Um. Uh. It's pretty. I mean, there's a pretty wide gap between. I used to think they were a little closer together, but Mission Impossible 1996 has some of the best sequences of the 90s. I mean, there's a reason why this was a huge hit. Yeah. And uh, Tom Cruise, when he did this, uh, you, do you know how old he is? He's probably, what, late 20s when he did this? Oh, man. I'd have to think because he was born in 1962, so 1995 he was probably filming this. Um. Yeah. So like uh maybe thirty-three, something like that. Thirty-three? Okay. Um yes. Let me do the math right quick. Yeah. Um and the reason I have this as the second to last, I mean this is the movie that did kick everything off, right? Um this yeah, was, was the 33 movie thirty-three years old. Thirty-three. Um Tom Cruise was peak of pretty much Tom Cruise's powers, pretty much nineties, you know what I mean? Eighties, nineties. I mean, Tom Cruise was, you know, the big movie star. He was, um, peak of his powers. Um, this was directed by Brian De Palma, who interesting enough, he didn't come back. Do you know the reason why, um, he wasn't brought in? Was Tom Cruise just so very insistent on bringing in John Woo for the second one? I think the whole, the whole thing. And I, I didn't hear too much about like Brian, why Brian De Palma, had left, but I think the whole idea from the time being is each of these would be their own self-contained, different director-driven um, installments. And they had a lot of people on there. One Car Y almost did Mission Impossible 2. Oliver Stone almost did Mission Impossible 2. They had a long list of directors who they were choosing before they went to John Woo. And I think it was face-off being such a big hit the following year that really um, changed up who the director would be on there. But this was in the peak 90s era, 90s, a little bit of the 80s dedicated to this, where Tom Cruise was really obsessed with collecting a lot of the greatest directors possible to really just let them learn under them, them study under them. And Brian De Palma being chosen for a Mission Impossible movie is a strange call, especially just Brian De Palma being chosen for a blockbuster in general is a strange call. He makes these psychosexual, very voyeuristic Hitchcock riffs. And while Mission Impossible is certainly one of the most tamest of his, it's, uh, it's, it's got a lot of that in there. There's a lot of shots of people looking through uh, monitors that 
show what people are looking through through their eyes as they're looking at other people. There's a lot of like cavernous, like uh, Italian cities. Um, what I love the most about the first Mission Impossible movie is just the vibes of it all. I love the the like the cobblestones and the Europeanness of it. Um, even though I think they've blown so much of it out of the water. And also we should mention Henry Zerny, who reprises his role in Dead Reckoning as Kittredge. That whole scene in the restaurant with the, uh, I believe I've made you very upset. Kittredge, you've never seen me upset. But the whole aquarium explosion is just stellar stuff. And the, the Langley heist, there's so many great scenes. Some of the best scenes of the entire franchise. That's the cat, Winnie. Uh, for everybody. Uh, she's agreeing with you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's going full hog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you like Brian De Palma, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, Winnie's first yeah. podcasting appearance. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, what makes it, what holds it back for you? I'm just curious because mine are a lot of different. Yeah. Um, so Brian De Palma, uh, who directed this, you know, he did famous works, Carlito's Way, Untouchable, Scarface, Carrie, Dressed to Kill, um, are some of his most notable works. Um, and I think for me, um, the reason this is second to last is because we just, I think it's just not really so much an indictment of the movie itself, but just how much we've just gotten so much better as the movies have gone on. Um, and just more kind of sleeker. Uh, more modern, more sharper, um, just kind of, like I said, these movies, we mentioned in the Dead Reckoning review, how these movies just gotten just bigger, bigger, and, and bigger with a lot of the stuff that they do. Um, and this has some great action scenes, too, in the first one. I mean, the most notably, the famous train sequence was also famously as another train sequence in Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, but there's that, um, that that looks, you know, obviously, it being 1996, it looks a little bit dated. For the time it's in, um, I think the movement of the movie, just for me, the pacing of it feels a little bit too slow for me um, at times. Um, it does, you know, when you look in the back of this movie, it does have that conventional thing of Ethan Hunt going rogue like he mostly does in a lot of these movies. Um, and that's kind of the theme in a lot of spy assassin movies is that the organization you worked for, you know what I mean? They think you're a traitor now and they're hunting yeah. you and you have to prove your innocence. Uh, there's that. So that's a common, you know, spy theme. I, I that do plot. like that. They've now made it the only mission impossible movie where he doesn't go rogue is the second one. And, oh yeah. And dead reckoning just to, I mean, even bringing back Kittredge, I, I like that they've just basically said, like, you know, you go rogue all the time. If you go rogue again, we are going to chase you down. Which, you know, is is that generic whole thing. But he, he goes rogue hard as fuck uh, in pretty much all of them. Uh, which is something that is one of the biggest portrayals of the TV show. Because there's never a point where they do it. But I guess they got to keep escalating it. And I guess you can't escalate it and not have him go rogue. You always have to escalate it. I guess, mm. actually... We'll get to it later. Fallout, he doesn't necessarily go rogue. Mm. Um, but but right now we're looking at uh, at John Voight, who plays Jim Phelps, who is the main character of the original TV show. He is the Ethan Hunt. And this whole movie, one of the big criticisms that it gets is that, hey, that Ethan Hunt character, the side character, almost a special guest star... Um, is the main character of the movie and it turns out that the main character of nine seasons 
of the original TV show is the uh, is the villain. Oh, Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Oh, hold on. Let me add him back real quick. Sorry, the cat just moved my my mic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Winnie. Uh, the main guest star character ends up becoming the main character of the uh, first official movie, and it upset fans quite a bit. Um, yeah. I, I always think it's it's interesting to talk about because it's one of those like one of those last Jedi moments for fans. But since the fans of Mission Impossible are such a quiet <laughs> vocal minority, it just sort of like shut down, and now we've got so many since then. Yeah, I'm surprised the Mission Impossible series. So it lasted eight eight seasons, technically nine. Uh, nine, nine. Um, two of them are a revamp. Uh, it, I mean, it was a popular show, but it was one of those where it just always had the same formula. It wasn't like Star Trek where it was canceled very early, but it was. Uh, it 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 had its vocal fans and. Uh, um, we'll get into favorite villains in the series. I think we might have the same number uh, five rank. Okay. Because I'm curious. I'm pretty sure we probably do. It'd be insane if we didn't. Um, okay. Just to, to speak on rated M for maturity. But yeah, no, the first movie is good. It's just, uh, it's one of those movies that isn't perfect. But yeah. it has perfect scenes in it. Yeah, and when you go back and you look at the first movie, it's kind of the who's who of kind of '90s people in this. Yeah. Um, you know, John Voight is in this. Um, you have John the guy Renault. John Renault who's in this. Emilio Estevez is in this. Um, and I was kind of I I had forgot this. Vin Rames has been there since the very beginning of yeah. these Mission Impossible movies, and um, I wonder. You know, why is it that he's always he's the main guy that's always been brought back in all of them other than Tom Cruise? I can um, answer that for you. Oh, uh, sure. Actually, actually, one of the funniest things. So uh, Tom Cruise met Ving Rhames at Cannes Film Festival after he saw Pulp Fiction for the first time. And he, uh, Ving Rhames talked about this. He, uh, he basically, he was so shocked to meet Tom Cruise that he turned around in the urinal and accidentally pissed on Tom Cruise's, like, feet. And the entire time, like, Tom Cruise was just laser-focused being like, love your performance in Pulp Fiction. We got to do something together, man. We got to do something. And they ended up casting him in Mission Impossible, and Tom Cruise took such a shine to Bing that he's kept him along ever since, even in the fourth movie. He uh, he at the last minute like paid Ving Rhames something like six seven million dollars to be in that movie, and he just literally shows up in that movie to be like, "Hey, this whole mission was crazy. I have to clean up after this," and then leaves. Yeah, yeah. Huh. It it's one of those like every time they've said we need to kill Ving Rhames to add stakes, he has always said, "Absolutely not, absolutely not. We will we we can't do this without Ving." Mm, yeah, yeah. They're just, I guess, bros for life. I no, oh, that's very interesting. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and then Rames, this whole thing is it. Um, Radiant from Maturity said Mission Impossible and Arby's commercial. Vin Rames is never gonna, uh, is never yeah. not gonna be uh, in either. Yeah, very true. He's, yeah, if you ever hear the Arby's, 
commercials. We've That's got him. The meats. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, uh, he's one of those people who is quietly one of the highest earning actors working in Hollywood. You know? Really? Yeah. He's oh. just quietly gets banked from being spokesperson for Arby's every year. And then every time they do a mission impossible, like Tom Cruise pays him to scale. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, was, good for Vin Rames. Yeah. Love Vin Rames. Uh, yeah. Do we have the same number three? I'm curious. What's your number three? Or I could say the number three just to keep with the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So you go. Or not number three. I already spoiled it. Uh, number five for me is going to be Mission Impossible 3. Mm, okay. Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. Um, and with Mission Impossible 3, so this is another director that hopped on. So after Brian De Palma, then John Woo, um, then came J.J. Abrams uh, with Mission Impossible 3 who came on to this. And there was a, a, a big break between Mission Impossible 2 and then uh, the third one. That was kind of a big break. Probably the long, longest break that it had been in the series. Well, it had uh, shut down in production because it, uh, it was uh, going to be Joe Carnahan's Mission Impossible 3. It was almost David Fincher's Mission Impossible 3 uh, that involved Ethan Hunt-like trafficking body parts to try and figure out um who this weird like body part uh trafficking ring it was it was a very strange script uh but yeah yeah mission impossible podcast dork talking about it it's it's very strange but we're talking about best villain of the series i mean our hat goes off to Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm assuming this is also your number five. I was going back and forth. I was trying to see if I wanted to, at number five, I was going to put this one or if I was going to put Ghost Protocol. Um, and I think I'm going to maybe settle with this one at number five. It's tough uh, because people, you know, now people want to give J.J. Abrams a lot of crap. Uh, because they go like this guy, you know, his failures when it comes to Star Wars. Um, he's a Spielberg ripoff. Um, you know, the lens flares, all that other stuff, you know, people want to give him a lot of crap, but I think he's very good at starting things. He's just not very good at finishing things. Yeah, he's a good idea the, guy. Arguably the best person ever at starting things. I yeah. mean, if you ask anybody, like I was talking about this the other day, you ask anybody their favorite TV pilot, most everybody's going to say the pilot's a lost. Um, uh, Star Trek, the movie is, is, pretty fucking stellar reboot of a franchise and force awakens um really did a great job at setting the table for all of those characters and where sequels could go and then it, it you know maybe didn't set enough on the table but this very interestingly brings the franchise into its uh more closer to its roots you feel more of a team focus in this um it, it gets more into Tom Cruise's character, who is kind of a non-character in the beginning. Mm. And, and I'm not saying all of it works, but it basically becomes a big budget episode of Alias. Um, and yeah. a lot of people really hate the, uh, the rabbit's foot. The fact that we never figure out what it is. I've always liked that quite a bit. I like the mystery of here's a thing. We don't know what it is. And we need to have the bad guy take it. I didn't feel like I needed that answer because it's usually like a nuclear bomb or a virus or whatever. I like mm. that it's just nothing. 
Like I can just imagine what's going to go on. And I like Michelle Monaghan and the entire cast and Philip Seymour Hoffman is fucking incredible in this movie. It's yeah. really just the other movies that are so good afterwards that make this one feel kind of quaint and all the other ones feel quaint. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, like you mentioned, you know, great at starting things. JJ uh, Abrams is like you mentioned Star Trek. He did. Um, so good at really kind of, you know, giving energy to franchises, revitalizing them, you know, and I think that's what he did here with Mission Impossible, because after Mission Impossible 2, people were like, uh, do we even want to see any more of these? So there was a six-year gap between this one and between the third one, um, and I think without this one, you really, and then this one not being the success that it was, um, then we wouldn't have gotten all these other ones. We wouldn't have gotten Ghost Protocol to Rogue Nation to fall well, out. To weirdly, just to even specify, Mission Impossible Two is still, I believe, the highest grossing of the franchise. Really, and still that? Yeah, it, it was the biggest movie that year. Beat out Gladiator, and this movie is actually the lowest grossing of the franchise. Interestingly enough, a lot of it catching flack from a bizarre marketing campaign. Um, the fact that the whole Tom Cruise jumping on the couch and the Katie Holmes thing had happened the previous year before with War of the Worlds, which was a big success. But the post-War of the Worlds, like everything that people had issues with in War of the Worlds and Tom Cruise in a public light really drove people away from Mission Impossible 3, which is still, like, they're all successful. Um, Dead Reckoning, we, we still need to get to the end of that, but also what deems a movie successful these days is... A, ever-changing definition um but but yeah this movie weirdly revitalized the franchise while also being the like the lowest grossing like bottom point of the franchise as a whole yeah um so yeah uh with mission possible three so i i I did quite like it a bit um some notable things about this like we kind of we see that ethan hunt tom cruise has retired um he's given up the spy life um now as he's trying to live a normal life we see the introduction of his kind of recurring love interest for him in these series of movies so we get a little bit more backstory so it kind of humanizes ethan as a character and it's portrayed by uh, michelle moynihan um, in this, uh, we also see the introduction of Simon Pegg's character, um, in this, who's Benji, uh, who works, um, do you think it's kind of conflicting to have two kind of tech guys, like a guy in the chair, because you have both Vin Rames and Simon Pegg, do you think that's, it's too much guy, two guys in the chair, do you think it's kind of, redu- kind of, you know, too much? I, I think it's, it's conflicting now in a funny way. I mean, they call it out in Dead Reckoning. I know the reason why Ving Rhames is in the chair all the time is because he will not do anything physical because he has bad knees. Watch oh. the movies and you will realize he's either sitting in a chair or any scene where he has to chase someone down is done with a lot of cuts. Uh, almost, I mean, artfully done. Eddie Hamilton is a great director, but it's one of those where he is normally just fully seated in action scenes. And I like that they have fully commented on that now. Um, mm. But no, I don't mind it. I mean, I just like those two actors. Uh, really, just they, they could both have the same job or whatever. There are multiple times where two people wear a mask at the same time, you know, or doing yeah. stunts at the same time. They just, I guess they have two hackers. I guess they need them now at this point versus the entity. Yeah. Um, you also see uh, like Maggie Q. 
um, who the people might, might know, she was in that CW show that was pretty popular, uh, where she was like uh, Nikita. Uh, she was in that. Um, actually, she's one character um, that's been in these movies. I actually would like to see a return. I actually did really like her. For sure. This. Um, I, I did like. I want to see Paula Patton return. I want to see Maggie Q return. Hope it can happen, but not yeah. holding my breath, sadly. Um, and, uh, so he kind of has a new team in this um, in this movie because you said you mentioned in the Mission Impossible Two, he's kind of working mostly solo in Mission Impossible Two. Um, here he has a team again, uh, which is is that kind of one of the big attractions to this? I mean, we know Tom Cruise is a movie star, you know, Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise doing all these crazy stunts. But you, do you think one of the, also the big appeals of these mission Impossible movies is the fact that he has a team and everybody has a job and they all work together to kind of accomplish the mission. Most now, most notably I mean, now it seems like his core team is Vin Rames and Simon Pegg. And then him, just a three, three man team. It seems like, I mean, that's always been the, uh, the appeal of the, the franchise as it started is the whole TV show is about a team of people. It's almost like if James Bond was one team and obviously Ethan Hunt is the person doing everything. Like Tom Cruise is very willing to be a quarterback for most of these movies. And it weirdly is what makes it work because he's just a ball of energy. You can just unleash it, <laughs> unleash into one of these things and just have it be well-directed. But I think, um, I think both, as a lateral move from the confusing first two movies um, and as just a thing that is different than just watching like your generic, like your triple X movie or your James Bond ripoff, having a team makes these movies more appealing. If you don't like Tom Cruise, Hey, you're here for Simon Pegg. Or if you don't like Tom Cruise, Oh, you're here for Ving Rhames. You know, it, it really doesn't, um, at the end of the day, it's the Tom Cruise show, sadly, but the ensemble makes it work and makes a lot of these scenes really sing. I love the Vatican heist in this movie where everybody has some sort of goal in there. Maggie Q spills the drink on Philip Seymour Hoffman and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Philip Seymour Hoffman are in a bathroom together. But one of the Philip Seymour Hoffmans is Tom Cruise. It's just, it's, it's a fun sequence in the movie um i think all of these movies sort of peak in their second act at this point mm. yeah. especially the next one ghost protocol even though yeah. i i love it so dearly this is where they all start to become five-star movies for me josh like yeah. i would argue mission impossible three is like a three and a half my number mm. four and I think your number four is also Ghost Protocol, right? Uh, yes, Ghost yeah. Protocol. Um, so Ghost Protocol, uh, let me pull it up real quick here. Uh, but yeah, uh, that would be my number four in the list of the movies uh, for ranking the Mission Impossible movies. It's kind of almost like we are kind of going in order of the, the way the movies are basically yeah, released. Yeah, basically. outside of one and two. Um, yeah, but and then there might be... I don't know. Coming up, I, I it might be a different, a little bit of a different switch up again. But uh, actually, just like I just realized I I got so drawn up in my previous order. I realized that I actually have Ted Reckoning Part One at this spot. So we can talk about Ghost Protocol if it's num your number four, though. Oh, okay. So you got Dead Reckoning. I'd be curious. Why do you have Dead Reckoning? Um, is it just because it's a two parter? 
honestly, that might be the case. Um, there's that. I, I think that the Dead Reckoning makes some decisions that I just overall don't agree with as much as Mission Impossible 4. But also, I feel like those decisions really matter depending on like what's going to happen next. So it's kind of like a, a four with an asterisk on it. Um, I, I think there are just so many great things about Ghost Protocol that just put it leagues ahead of some of the stuff we see in Dead Reckoning. I mean, there's no set piece in Dead Reckoning that is as good as that Burj Khalifa stunt. Mm, okay. And so it's- four just sort of moves like a nice jazz song. And seven, seven is just an interesting uh, lateral move for the franchise versus just like pure, pure, just here's the perfect anecdote for a great time in the theaters. Okay. Uh, but, but I think talking about both of them together is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, so this I got- is the... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to just say, I, I got Ghost Protocol pulled up right now. Um, this is the fourth one here. Um, this is directed by Brad Bird. Again, change of directors. Brad Bird, people might know he directed uh, uh, The Incredibles, which was probably, I think, considered one of the best animated movies out there ever. Definitely one of the best Pixar movies ever. Um, and this was his very first live-action film, too, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, it was this, and then he does Tomorrowland, and then He's back and, to animation. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he did Tomorrowland and then straight back to animation. He's like, ah, yeah, maybe this live action thing ain't for me after all. Uh, it's a great but, live action debut, though. It, it follows all the sensibilities of his animation. As you can see right here, everything feels very storyboarded and intentional. Yeah, he did The Incredibles and he did Ratatouille, considered probably two of the best Pixar movies ever. Yeah, um, and he did The Iron Giant, which was just oh, a monster hit. Yeah, the Iron Giant. So yeah, this was his, you know, first uh, live action film that he directed, and what a wonderful job um, he did with this, um, you know, live action wise. And when we had our big discussion about uh, when we even discussed Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, uh, we had a little bit of discussion of whether or not Hollywood movies are too similar, and whether or not, uh, you know, what I mean, they all kind of using the same locations. And then here you mentioned they go to Abu Dhabi. Um, they, yeah. you know, they. they they do that, which is always like a big location in uh, action movies. Because didn't also Fast and Furious, they went there in what, the seventh one, right? Yep, yep. We watched that one in my old place. <laughs> yeah, they went there in the seventh one. So that's just a, you know, common location that a lot of people kind of go to. And then, you know, they usually kind of do an action scene or somewhat of a scene, which I'm seeing in the trailer now. They do the big tower there um, in Abu Dhabi. I mean, uh, one of the craziest stunts that we'll ever see on film. <laughs> truly like even just watching it like you it's one thing to just be a stunt but that is just such an immaculate sequence that might be the best sequence of any of these movies yeah um and this the sequence where you know he's got these gloves and he's just like uh blue is good but red is bad and if you you know if you see red then you're gonna slip off the thing and then fall to your death and this is thousands you know it's like hundreds of feet all in, all feet all the way up in the air um that he's kind of hanging on this thing um and it's a tense sequence i mean very very tense and v- very great to watch um and yeah, all leading into a sandstorm sequence that's all sort of one sequence all in one and then there's a whole meeting and like ghost protocol is just 
so many different movies at once. The the prison break sequence. It just yeah, it's it's, it's a dance. Yeah, great, uh, great opening sequence. So yeah, the prison break sequence, great opening sequence there where they play the music and they do that whole big thing there. Um, that's a great opening sequence. Um, some new introductions that we see here added to the team, Paula Patton, um, that we see. Uh, we also see Jeremy Renner, who is only in the next one, Rogue Nation. Um, and then he wasn't in uh, Fallout and he wasn't in Dead Reckoning. Um, there, uh, you also see... You know, of course, returning. Simon Pegg is returning. And this is the movie that Vin Rames only came in as like a cameo at the end. Um, that he kind of showed up there. Um, and speaking about when you mentioned James Bond, it does have the actress from James Bond who played the love interest there. Oh, yeah, uh, Leah Sadu. She's, she's in this, yeah. And um, I, I loved her in No Time to Die, but her character is disastrous, Inspector. I just always find it interesting that she plays a better Bond girl in this than she did in James Bond. Yeah. Uh, um, speaking about James Bond real quick, because somebody mentioned that, you know, Mission Impossible is basically our James Bond. It's basically the American version of, of James Bond. Would you, would you say that? At this point, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and do you think it's going to come a point in time where it is going to be like James Bond, where Ethan Hunt does get recast, the character does get recasted, and we get a new actor? I think uh, Mission Impossible 4 is kind of the argument against that because this was going to be the movie where Tom Cruise was going to die or pass the torch to Jeremy Renner, who's supposed to be the younger <laughs> version of Ethan Hunt, which is kind of interesting to think about now. Yeah. Because Tom well, Cruise just remains a ball of energy. <laughs> I guess, really, I mean, Jeremy Renner isn't, I mean, it's not like he's exactly a spring chicken. I mean, he is 52, so he's nine years younger than Tom Cruise, who is uh, uh, 60. So I think, well, no, he's, yeah, he's 60, so he's eight years younger than him. Um, or no, he's 61. Tom Cruise is 61. Jeez. So he's nine years, uh, about nine years younger than him. Um, so it's kind of interesting that Jeremy Renner was kind of going to be the person that they were going to pass the torch to. Um, and he also tried to do that with the Bourne series. If people remember that, the Bourne Legacy, I think it was called. They also tried to do that. It's like, yeah, yeah which is an Matt interesting Damon. movie that weirdly is set the same point as the Bourne Ultimatum. Uh, very, very interesting that he was like segued into possibly being the star of two different spy series at the same time. But this is the this is the turning point in the franchise when uh, Christopher McQuarrie gets involved and basically ghost writes uh, Ghost Protocol where he makes Michelle Monaghan's character still alive, which she wasn't supposed to be at the beginning of it. And then instead of giving uh, the torch over to Jeremy Renner, Tom Cruise passes the torch to himself. <laughs> he also does in Top Gun Maverick to much delight. But it's just always funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. Christopher McQuarrie is kind of where my entire top half of the list lands. Uh, Dead Reckoning is my number four. Ghost yeah. Protocol being your number four. Is your number three Dead Reckoning? Because we could just talk a little bit about that. I know we already reviewed it. Um. So my number three, um, yeah, I guess I'll go with uh, Dead Reckoning there. Um, we did review, you were, you were there for the review um, that yeah. we did for Dead Reckoning, uh, as well as Bradley Martin, who's also a critic for oneofus.net. Um, he shout was there Bradley. as well. Um, very big shout out to him. So yeah, uh, Dead Reckoning. 
um, would be kind of be a very, uh, yeah, probably be my third one here. Um, it's interesting to try to kind of rank this one since it isn't finished. Shit, that's yeah. loud. <laughs> um, yeah, pull up the trailer there for Dead Reckoning. Um, but yeah, um, so it's not finished yet. This is a two parter. Seems like that's kind of the thing now, I guess, is like two parters. Um, that's what they're doing. Two parters this year. Yeah. Uh, Spider Verse, uh, Fast and Furious is being breaking up. They have two more films, but that's being break uh, broken up into things like it's like you know we're breaking that up. Spider Verse, um, also Dune is getting a uh, well, that's getting two more parts to that. Um, so yeah, it seems like that's kind of like the new thing now is to kind of break these movies up. Um, so that's kind of one of your reasons why. So do you think if Part Two comes out, it's really great that you'll kind of move both these movies up? Probably. Um, this one's interesting in a lot of its decision-making, and a lot of its decision-making really depends on how I feel about the second one. Um, as it stands, it's a fun time at the movies. I enjoy the weird, bold swings it makes, especially with its villain character, which is probably my second favorite villain underneath Philip Seymour Hoffman. Not... S.I. Morales so much, but the entity itself. I enjoy the uh, the AI machinations in the movie. It feels very timely and very scary in a way that this is a movie where at no point is the team really ever getting that far ahead. They're usually just the prey to this villainous force. Um, I guess in a similar way to Avengers Infinity War, but this movie took some, I mean, it's just visually is <laughs> such a fun ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I had to, and, I, I'm just laughing at that scene in the trailer. I always just laugh when Tom Cruise is just running. That boy just, just running his ass <laughs> up. Look at him, just running, running, running. Those, Jesus Christ. Those, <laughs> those karate chop arms. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it's a lot of fun. I, I have an issue with uh, one of the big decisions made in the movie. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but it's... Uh, it's a, a character death that I'm I'm not sure the franchise needed, but it it's done well. I'm really curious to see where it all goes. It doesn't really have anything as great as Ghost Protocol's Burj Khalifa stunt, but it's so fucking exciting. It, it's a it's a top tier action movie. Yeah, um, I did see this in twice in theaters, um, so I did see it twice. So I, I liked it, it that times. much. Wow. So okay. Yeah. Uh, three times there uh, for you, and then twice for me. Um, so with this, um, you have new additions. You have Ailey Atwell, um, who's in this, who's in, who's a th- the thief who kind of gets way in over her head. Um, you also have you mentioned the entity, um, Asai Morales, who comes in here. His demeanor and his kind of personality, almost lack of personality, almost like a Terminator, almost. I think is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. um, and. I think when you look at back at all the Mission Impossible series, they not they don't really have really memorable villains other than Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think I mean Philip Seymour Hoffman stands above I think everybody else. Um, yeah, Solomon Lane's all right. Yeah, him being brought back, he's the only villain. Uh, well, I guess aside Morales, he'll be the next villain that's going to be in multiple movies. Uh, but he he was in Rogue Nation and he comes back for Fallout. Um, I kind of didn't really like it so much him and. In 
fallout because they kind of treat it like he's Ethan Hunt's Moriarty kind of yeah, almost. A um, and I just don't think like I don't think he's that memorable of a character to really be treated that way. Like you know, we're supposed to think like almost like in when we when we first introduced him in Rogue Nation, like this guy is almost he's basically evil Ethan Hunt basically. Um, you know what I mean? He's just you know the he's opposite almost in a way. Is that kind of how you think the way the movie kind of frames it there? I don't want to go into Rogue Nation before we get done with it, right? Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, he's just know. Blofeld, I guess. He mm. he's supposed to be his his Lex Luthor for a little bit, but it doesn't fully come across. He's intimidating, but um, I think the character is written a little better than say Philip Seymour Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman's just bringing it. And mm. Solomon Lane is definitely a more memorable villain than the uh, the villain in the fourth one, played by Michael Nyquist, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so with, with Dead Reckoning, so yeah, I, I, I did like that a lot. And then like the entity, um, AI being a big kind of villain there, that's the new hot topic right now is AI, chat GPT, you know, we're going to replace all these actors and writers just with AI, you know, I mean, CGI, are we going to just scan some actors and just keep using them and all this different stuff? So that's kind of the hot kind of thing right now. Um, Palm Clementif is in this, who I just like seeing her on screen in this, like her whole look, her whole vibe. I really liked a lot. She's very uh, silent film. Like she's just bringing a lot with very little dialogue. Yeah. Um, just like her facial expressions, like especially when she's driving like the police um, kind of truck there, um, that was like really good. I thought that was a great sequence here. Um, do you think the movies is Mission Impossible movies because it seems like they've also added a little bit more comedy as the movies have gone on uh, there, especially when you have like the additions of like Simon Pegg, who I think in these movies Simon Pegg kind of really sets up like Tom Cruise a lot. Like, he kind of said somebody was like, oh, yeah, Tom Cruise, you know, he could do that. Like, okay, so we need you to jump off this, land in a pit of sharks, you know, uh, you know, dive through some lava, uh, you know, uh, you know, then then go into a hurricane and grab this computer chip and then head out. You can do that, right? I mean, you can do all those things. That's easy. That's easy work. It's light work. That's just a Tuesday. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, and then even in, in this is like dead reckoning is that scene where he's just like, oh, you just jump off it. I mean, that should be easy, right? You just jump off it and then release the parachute and he's, Everything you know, and then you just, I'm under a lot of stress right now. <laughs> you know. He's sitting on the side of a cliff. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I mean, do you think that's kind of a thing they've kind of added more throughout the series? Oh, definitely. That's the big swing that Dead Reckoning really makes after Fallout is Fallout takes itself very seriously and Dead Reckoning and even Rogue Nation kind of realized they can't take themselves that seriously. They, you know, you can't, uh, for Dead Reckoning especially, you can't out serious Fallout, so you out funny all the other movies. I think uh, Dead Reckoning is weirdly the funniest of all the Mission Impossible movies. Mm. The car chase sequence is pretty good with him and Haley Atwell and... Uh, there's some kind of even kind of like vaudeville kind of nature to it, like when this scene when the car flips and then they reverse uh, positions in the car. Um, I think is I think is really good. Um, yeah, and then you also have uh, like Shea uh, Wiggum who's in this. Um, oh, who, so great in that movie. 
um, who people know he just voiced Captain uh, Stacy in Spider-Verse, speaking about two-part movies. He was also in another one there. Um, he's also most famously, he was in Boardwalk Empire. Um, he was in that. Uh, and and then you also have a Top Gun Maverick alum who's in this, who plays his partner um, in this, uh, who plays uh, Greg uh, Tarzan Davis, uh, who's di- who's Briggs in this, who people, he was also Coyote. in Coyote. Yeah. Uh, moves in this. Um, do you think that with this movie, uh, because I think Tom Cruise said like what he wants to keep playing this until he's what in his seventies, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So they're trying to like potentially build up a team that could could could, could carry on after he's gone. So it's like maybe Shea Wiggum or maybe the Briggs character is going to join the IMF and they're going to be part of the bigger team, like we see. Uh, here, you think that's kind of what they're doing with some of these characters here? I mean, this is this is not for nothing. I don't think that this is any like foreshadowing or anything. But Briggs is the name of the like original leader of the uh, of the Mission Impossible like force in the original series, and also Paris is the name of Leonard Nimoy's character in the original series, which is mm. a pom pom character's name so maybe that's some setup uh i definitely got the greg tarzan davis being brought into the fold as a potentiality yeah no uh rated m for immaturity i he said in an interview i want to do it as long as uh harrison ford has done it like i want to do it once i'm in my 80s so yeah he (laughs) might he might do that or he might die that's just kind of the the thing with uh present day tom cruise uh, Mr. Movies, President of Movies. President uh, of Movies. Yeah. Um, so this was your your number. Uh, what were you on? Number four, right? Yeah, number four was Dead Reckoning for me. So yeah. my number three would be Ghost Protocol. So I guess we'd be going on to Rogue Nation, probably. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. So number yeah. So number three would be uh, Rogue Nation. Um, and Rogue Nation. And this is the first uh, film directed by who would continue to direct these movies from here on out. This is where we kind of get done with the director changes here, which is Christopher McCurry. Um, so do you think that they should have continued having different directors throughout the series, or do you like that the fact that Christopher McCurry just has been, he's just the guy for the for these movies? I think there's no better person working with like I think the pairing of Cruz and McQuarrie is one of the best director to actor action movie pairings. Like Tony Scott and Denzel Washington, or Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood. Um, the first Jack Reacher is a really, really underrated, fun little thriller, and this being the follow-up, Rogue Nation is just pretty effortlessly entertaining. And I think one of the biggest. Uh, one of the biggest misgivings of this movie when it first came out is that it came out in such a crowded summer of spy movies. Like you had Kingsman, you had uh, man from uncle rogue nation, furious seven, even is a spy movie. You had Melissa McCarthy's spy, <laughs> uh, and you had Mad Max Fury road coming out around the same time, but this is a top shelf action movie just from beginning to end. It's, it kind of finally cracks the Ethan Hunt character as just being this absolute madman, this uh, manifestation of destiny, as Alec Baldwin calls him. 
the opera scene is just the fucking tits. This whole movie just rules from beginning to end. And it introduces Rebecca Ferguson, who is one of the best characters I've seen in a blockbuster in mm. quite some time. I just she's just so classic Hollywood. Yeah. And you also mentioned yeah, all these spy movies and Spectre also came out. Oh um, yeah, that was the one I was forgetting. This was the better Spectre than Spectre. Yeah, uh, which was yeah, which was yeah. I did not like Spectre. I mean, the the Bond movies. Um, I think one of the reasons for me, I think Mission Impossible movies have kind of the Daniel Craig movie has kind of for me surpassed the Daniel Craig movies is the level of consistency because like the Craig movies. I mentioned this before. It was like one good, one bad, one good, one bad. Because like Casino Royale, way up here. Then it was like Quantum of Solace. And then it, after Quantum of Solace, it was Skyfall, which is up here. But then after Skyfall, then it was Spectre, which was down here. And then, it, but it ended on a good note. With yeah, with I like no time. time to die quite a bit. Um, um, it Rogue yeah. Nation's just so good, though. It I love the the fact of the big stunt, the him hanging on the plane is the opening scene of the movie. I like all the interactions between him and Simon Pegg. I like Alec Baldwin chasing them. That entire scene gets such a great payoff, and I like how small it gets, how it just ends with them smoke bombing Solomon Lane in a glass box. Mm. It, yeah. It's it's so fun and ramshackle, and uh, I, I feel like I underrated it when I first watched it, and it has since held up as a great fun time to turn on. Yeah, and this you see the return of Jeremy Renner's character, who was in the movie prior, uh, Ghost Protocol in this. Um, do they ever explain what happened to his character afterwards, like in uh, Fallout or anything like that? Because I think in this, they're basically saying that Jeremy Renner is basically, like, what, second in command, basically, of the IMF to he's, Alec Baldwin? He's, I guess, secretary. Um, well, I guess Alec Baldwin isn't the first... Alec Baldwin isn't a member of the IMF until the end. He's just like a CIA stooge and becomes head of IMF in the next movie that we're going to talk about here. Um, yeah, no, I, I, they don't really explain what happened to him. I know they wanted him to come back in Fallout, but he could only come back for one scene because of Avengers Endgame slash Infinity War filming. Um, mm. And the one scene that they would have done is to kill him off. <laughs> and he wanted to leave it open to come back. So we'll see. He may return in Dead Reckoning Part 2. I'd welcome that. Yeah. Um, that's funny. They just, I mean, I wonder how that call went. And it's like, hey, so, you know, we kind of would want you to come back, you know, and just to kill you off real quick, you know, to have some some good stakes for people to, to probably get invested in here, I guess, with the movie, have some dramatic thing kind of going on. Um in, Alec Baldwin underrated in these movies, I will say. Yeah, um, which I don't think he's going to be coming back anytime soon. <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't think that, I, I think he's got a little too much negative nature on him there uh, coming back. Um, and he, he does have a good moment in Fallout, which we're going to be getting to pretty soon. But I, uh, but yeah, with his moment in Fallout here, uh, where he kind of just fights Henry Cavill, and almost it almost felt like the scene in Amazing Spider-Man, where like where he like Martin. Uh, <laughs> Martin Sheen, where he kind of has like a Vietnam flashback and tries to uh, attack. Yeah, you know what I mean? That kind of just reminds me so much of that. You know, it's like kind of wild. One of my biggest theories about Tom Cruise's casting in these movies is that he casts people who could have been Tom Cruise at one point or another, because you think about it like 
you know, Alec Baldwin and Tom Cruise are pretty much around the same age, but you could never imagine Alec Baldwin doing any of those stunts. Same thing with like somebody like John Hamm, where it's like you could never imagine him doing any of these stunts. Henry Cavill, mm. even. Yeah. It's it's one of those like stunt like, yeah, you can't be as movie star as me, so I'm going to act you off the screen, but you're gonna be against me for the period of the movie, you know? Yeah. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, like you mentioned, introduction of her character, Alessa Faust. Um, would you say, I mean, really kind of, you know, did, did she get the credit she deserves as being like a really great female action star in these movies, you think? I mean, I think she's pretty well beloved. I'm trying not to like spoil Dead Reckoning, but like, I don't know. There, there's been some feedback to the way how her character has been treated in there. So I think her character has stuck with a lot of people. I know there's a Twitter account that is just dedicated to like her character that just constantly talks about her thigh spin that she she does that Black Widow. Uh, trying to think of other movies that that do the thigh like neck uh, snap. Did they? Did Charlize Theron do that in Atomic Blonde? I think she did it in Atomic oh, Blonde. Oh, definitely. She definitely she did would it. have done that in Atomic Blonde. That sounds yeah. absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know about the movie Hannah. Do you remember the movie Hannah? Oh, Hannah's great. I, I don't she, believe she did that. Mm, yeah, I think it was mostly just like her just being feral and just kind of jump jumping on people and just yeah. kind of attacking them. There, that was a fair, uh, Hannah was very good movie. Hannah was the movie with uh, Cersei Ronan was in it. Honestly, uh, Miss started with uh, Xenia on the top and uh, Goldeneye. The Famke Jansen character who kills people with her thighs. Yeah, which they uh, Palm Klimtiv does try to do that to Tom Cruise and Dead Reckoning. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which I yeah, that was I remember people talked about that trope with females and and action movies of just like that whole thing where they do the whole kind of wrap the legs around the neck and head and kind of spin them around, uh, kind of thing there. But yeah. Uh, great performance from her, um, Rebecca Ferguson, in all of these movies, I think. And she's just an amazing actress in general. Like her performance in Dr. Sleep, great oh in that. You know, love, love her in that. Um, she can rock the top hat. Very, very sexy wearing the top R hat. Rose the hat. Suck my yeah. stream any day. Um, so very great there. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, this uh, with, uh, where are we on with uh, Rogue Nation? Yeah. Very, very strong movie uh, all the way around. And I think it, it kind of takes the Mission Impossible formula and kind of bottles it and kind of perfects it in a, in a, in a nice way. Um, and again, you know, it's a situation, Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt on the rogue. Um, yeah, he's rogue again. I mean, you know what I mean? Just kind of doing his own thing, trying to hunt down this, uh, they call it this, the syndicate. Um, it's what he's, he's trying to hunt down here, which is uh, uh, weird. It, that's uh, that's the main villain in the original series. Just to randomly bring all that oh. into that, it's very kind of nice. their specter. Oh, okay. Uh, very, very nice. Um, and you mentioned some of the comedy that we talked about here. Um, this is there's a chase sequence here uh, with Rebecca Ferguson that happens where he kind of dies for a minute, and he kind of is a little loopy um and he has to do a chase scene a car chase scene there um that is offered for some good humorous moments again simon pig character setting them up again he's like oh yeah you can hold your breath for like 10 minutes you know what i mean that's that's again light work you know you can you can do that um 
you could do that there. So that opens really good. Um, and also presents the fact that, you know, action movie stars in these movies, they almost come with basically like a force field because you see him on a bike where he just kind of skids out on the bike. Normally, that would your every bone in your body would probably be broken um, if that happened in real life, um, where you just kind of crash out on the bike. But because it's an action movie and it's, you know, Hollywood, it's like, ah, you know, you're okay. You're fine. I mean, uh, it lives in a world where you can pull off a mask and impersonate anybody. You, you can, yeah. You can sort of buy it, especially with how much of it is done practical. It's a fun action movie, just from beginning to end. It, I felt like I underrated it, definitely, when I first saw it. Yeah, um, Sonya Blade. Was she Sonya Blade in 1995? Oh, I thought he's mentioned. Oh, I think he's mentioned the uh, the whole wraparound leg technique. I think he's mentioned in that area for maturity. Uh, Sonya Blade there. So Rogue Nation. That that's your um, third. That's one. my number two. Number two for, for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So hold. Let me keep, let me keep track real quick. So seven we both agreed with. Um, where that was Mission Impossible two. Yep. Uh, then the sixth one was uh, Mission Impossible One. Yep. Then the fifth one uh, was Mission Impossible Three. Yep. Uh, and then your fourth one was Dead Reckoning. Yep. And then mine's Ghost Protocol. Um, and then the third one uh, for me was uh, what was it for you? It was Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol for you. And then my third one was uh, Rogue, uh, Rogue Nation. Right okay. now is. Rogue Nation. So yeah. is your second one Dead Reckoning? Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Third one for me would be Dead Reckoning. And then okay. second one for me would be Rogue Nation. And then okay, so, so what we... second for me is Rogue Nation, yeah. Yeah, so second for Rogue Nation. And so I guess we're at number one, right? Yeah, we're at number one, which I think is the whole reason we uh, we did this today. Yeah. Uh, uh, Fallout. Fallout. Absolute banger film. Why do you think, I mean, I think generally most people consider this one the best Mission Impossible film, right? Um, why do you think that is? I mean, I just think from start to finish, it's just immaculately designed. It, uh, it's constantly fooling the audience and dazzling them with stunts that just feel illegal to watch, but while also keeping every scene in between captivating feels like it exists in a nightmare. Uh, and it it's just an excellent vibe film. It, it is one of the best spy films I've seen. It, it's better than any James Bond film I've ever seen. Really? Yeah, that's my, that's my hot take. I, I think this is excellent from beginning to end. It's the best use of Henry Cavill I've ever seen in anything. Which isn't saying much, but he he's incredible as a foil in this movie. Um, yeah. Vanessa Kirby is a great addition to the cast. You also get yeah. the return of Rebecca Ferguson, Simon Pegg, Bing Rames, the main unit, and they're all great. Alec Baldwin comes in and steals a lot of scenes. It mm. the just from beginning to end, it's uh, it's just an effortlessly rewatchable and exciting movie. Mm. Very much. So, um, and that's why I have it um, as my number one, uh, because like all the things you kind of mentioned about it, um, and we do see um, some new additions, like you mentioned, Henry Cavill, and this was a, a notable thing about this movie was it was Mustache Gate. Uh, that was kind of the big thing about doing Superman at the time, and so they had to CG out 
uh, CGI out his mustache, which looked horrible, by the way, um, and it led for a lot of comedy, basically, uh, when that happened. Um, but everybody so that kind, was kind of, of weirdly agreed, though. I, I find it funny that, like, at the time, people were like, what, he can't shave off his mustache to reshoot scenes in Justice League, this diva actor? And now everybody <laughs> looks back and they're like, well, nobody really gives a fuck about that version of Justice League. And everybody rewatches Fallout. Yeah, very, very true. So it seems like it was a great decision. And you mentioned Henry Cavill. This is probably the, the best I've seen him. Um, and I was like, he actually makes a good asshole. Like, he actually plays an asshole pretty well. Yeah, he's great at playing uh, an asshole. Yeah. Um, it seems like, I don't know, uh, I mean, you never know with people, but it seems like in generally, you know, it seems like from interviews, I don't know, you never know, but he seems like a cool guy. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah, usually the coolest uh, guys can play the asshole is the best, you know? Yeah. Um, he just seems like he's all about, like, building PCs and, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, doing all that type of shit like that. So it just seems like, okay, just pretty chill guy here. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I thought, yeah, he was a great kind of foil, as you mentioned. Um, and he's almost like basically like the attack dog, uh, basically in this, you know, especially used by, uh, Angela Bassett's character who always, any movie is always upgraded when you add Angela Bassett, um, who we see kind of a cameo in. she, like her picture is on the wall in Dead Reckoning, uh, behind Carrie Elway. Yeah. She's supposed to be like president of the United States, which I agree. I would have voted for her in the most possible <laughs> universe. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. So she's supposed to be president now. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, that is, that is very good. Um, so yes, yeah, you know, uh, Angela Bassett here, you have, uh, Alec Baldwin, who's back from, uh, Rogue Nation, who's now the head of the IMF. Um, and so kind of how it's looking, I guess, from the perspective of like, when you watch Dead Reckoning. So IMF is apparently like really, really like need to know basis type organization, I guess, like all the other alphabet agencies, like don't know about the IMF too much. Is that what I'm. Yeah. I, that's how they've been established is that they're just some organization that you leave a note for and they get things done. Some sort of shadowy. I mean, you know, after every mission they take, they're like the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Like it's, it's a smoke and mirrors shadowy organization that is just uh sort of dedicated to psych warfare weirdly mm -hmm. you know impersonating yeah. other oh. people having you think you had conversations you never had impersonating mm -hmm. like the world has been destroyed like they do in the beginning of fallout so hilariously with the wolf blitzer mask yeah which i actually when i saw that i was like I, that was kind of to me a really great opening because like what if you open like with the team just failing and failing that miserably where they missed a terrorist attack and it's all about like trying to make up for that because in this I mean you know it is kind of trying to make up for something because he loses a lot of plutonium um, and it, and he chooses you know Vin Rames's character Luther over getting the plutonium he kind of prioritizes that um and where Mission Impossible has friendship, uh, you know, it's like kind of like Fast and Furious. Like they got family. Mission Impossible has friendship. It's all about friendship and and friends and kind of doing that. And there's even that speech um, by Simon Pegg, and I think it was what Ghost Rogue Protocol. Nation. Was it Rogue Nation where he gives that kind of My big speech? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was definitely Rogue Nation. 
Okay, Rogue Nation there. So he's kind of, yeah, it's, it's all about the kind of friendship there of, of, of there. And, and he's like, I even in Dead Reckoning, there's a scene where he kind of goes like, I just, I can't accept that. And he's like, you, maybe you have to choose the mission over us. He's like, I can't accept that. Well, actually, you can do the Tom Cruise impression. Can you do that See, I can't accept that. <laughs> yeah, there, uh, there you are. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and of course, do you think this uh, movie has the best action sequences out of the entire film franchise? Yeah, I mean, the Burj Khalifa stunt is the only one that really comes close, but I think the helicopter stunt is one of the most like gripping, like, it, it's such a great escalation for the movie where those movies normally get a little smaller in their third act. This is the first one that has like a third act where it just gets bigger and bigger and, you know, you're dangling off of a cliff with a nuclear bomb that you must press at the same time as everybody else it's it's great and bringing michelle monahan back into the fold is fantastic for that third act it mm. it's such a such a good movie just from beginning to end it's just immaculately designed it never gets slow and it gets as loopy as possible with its plot twists but in a way that is so fun mm. yeah the movie yeah, say, always deceives you. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably I think this film has the best action sequences out of everything with the helicopter scene, uh, which is really great. That is really fun. Um, there's, of course, the bathroom scene that's iconic. Um, I bathroom think, I think every, probably the best scene in the movie. Yeah, uh, where basically Henry Campbell basically charges up his arms, you know, basically like he's an anime character almost, <laughs> um, which is really great. Um, I mean that bathroom. I guess it was made out of IKEA. I guess. I guess they get some. I guess that was really cheap. They, the club didn't spend the most money on the bathroom, but uh, that's all right. I mean, it, it made for some fun crashing into stuff. Um, Weirdly, maybe my favorite scene of the movie just passed in this uh, little trailer preview. But I like the scene with Rebecca Ferguson and Tom Cruise through the uh, through the green like trees lined up in. Uh, I'm trying to remember where the location is in this in uh, France, I, was, I believe. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was France. Yeah, yeah uh, where they're yeah. there. Um, yeah, it's just a gorgeous uh, movie. Gorgeous. Yeah, it is a very gorgeous movie. Of course, with you know these spy movies. Yeah, you know, tons of locations that that you're kind of going to, and then also with the addition of Vanessa Kirby, who's in this, who also returns in Dead Reckoning. Uh, very, very great character on her, um, and she, I think. She was kind of one of the things that made um, Hobbs and Shaw more tolerable is with her addition yeah. in it. Oh, and that's a great scene, too. I remember that. that's also a, a great scene when he's running on the rooftops trying to catch up to Henry Cavill. Where he actually this, broke his foot, yeah. And he that's broke his foot. And keeps, insane he just, they kept that in, but awesome. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, and he just kept yeah, kind of walking there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I love that part. I love this. Yeah. This seems <laughs> the helicopter is great. And he's just like, this guy is fucking crazy. It was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, geez, but it's just, I mean, his persistence, I mean, that's the thing about Ethan Hunt. I mean, it's just, he won't give up. There comes that point in the movie where you're like, this is the most action I've ever seen in a movie when you're seeing it in a theater. And then you have Henry Cavill and Tom Cruise's helicopters caught between like a mountain as they're like just caught like in a drain and they drop into each other and you're just like, I cannot believe this is still going and it keeps going. And it just 
escalates so much. It's like a Indiana Jones movie on crack. Mm. <laughs> wow, that is a that's a quote for you. Put on the Mission Impossible uh, trailer there. It's like a Indiana Jones movie on crack. Uh, that's definitely something to put on the poster there. Um, Nathan Flanner, one of us dot net says Indiana Jones movie on crack. Um, yeah, I yeah, I absolutely love this movie. Um, would you say it's what you know? You said it's even better than any James Bond movie. Do you think it's your favorite spy movie just in general? No, no, no. I, I, I would have to really think about that. Uh, but as far as spy action movie, it's probably up there. I can't think of anything that tops it. I mean, nothing mm. in Skyfall or Casino Royale is as impressive as that. And I love Casino Royale. It's one of my favorites. Like, that is easily my favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, absolutely incredibly impressive movie um, there. So... Yeah, that's that's our ranking for the Mission Impossible movies there. Yeah, Fallout um, number one. Fallout number one. Probably not, not a surprise to many, um, probably. But, yeah. Um, it was great discussing these movies with you, man. Of course, of course. I'm always down to talk about the Missions Impossibles. 